Good morning. We're so glad you're here. Welcome to um, UBC's Women's Institute. Um, we're excited to have you here, all willing to be unmasked or masking if you feel comfortable with that. I'm just thankful to see faces, like more faces and smiles and everything else. It's such a delight. So thank you for coming and making the trek and the sacrifice of time on a Saturday morning at 9 a.m. That's not always an easy feat. Uh, to, this morning we get to listen to Haley as she teaches us um, from God's word about what it looks like to disciple one another. So before we get started, I wanted to do some book giveaways for us on the topic at hand. So one is a book reference because we don't we forgot to pick up one of them, but I want to show you the cover. This is Melissa Kruger's Growing Together. The subtitle is Taking Mentoring Beyond Small Talk and Prayer Requests. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Melissa, but she's, she's an excellent writer. She has a reputation for knowing how to disciple well other young women for years now. So if you just would like a how-to equipping tool, this is a really helpful resource. So it's called Growing Together by Melissa Kruger. It didn't make it on your resource list. We'll add it on, I think, later. The other one, which is more about um, developing um, discipling groups, and that's called Disciple Her. That's by um, Randy, Randy Gallaty. I don't know if any of you heard of Robbie Gallaty. But this is his wife, and they do this uh, D-Now kind of thing, it's called. So it's called Disciple Her. So that's another sort of how-to tools resource. Um, For parents, um, we have the Disciple-Making Parent, a comprehensive guide to raising your children to love and follow Jesus Christ. Does anybody not have this who would like this resource? We'd love to give this one away. Melissa. Okay, Mags, you're my runner since you're up here. Thanks, girl. Erwin in the back. Yeah, she, she'll flag her hands. Oh, it's a new cover, Haley. I was like, what is this one? David Helms, one-to-one Bible reading, simple guide for every Christian. Basic how-to of reading the Bible with another person. And this can go for discipling, which is with another Christian, or just evangelism. You can use it in both contexts, which is kind of wonderful. So, yeah. Okay, we've got a couple of these. If you don't have this resource, this is a wonderful one. We've got one, two, three, four, five of them. Go, Haley. Um, this is Mark Dever's book on discipling. It's a, just kind of a primer on it. It's really good. It's short. It's succinct. You can blow through it. Read it with another person so that you can, that would be a great way to use it too and just discuss each chapter. Um, does anybody not have this resource who would like a copy? Discipling. Sophia, I'm losing them. Anybody else? We got four more. Yeah. Anyone else? For those on Zoom, I don't know how if there's anyone on Zoom, but if you're on Zoom and you want a copy of Discipling, we've got plenty of copies of this book and we love to give it away. So it's a great resource if you haven't read through it. So and um I spy a cameo by myself in there, so it's really funny because when you see it, you're like, oh, wait a minute, I know that person. And you want to know a little secret? You want to know a secret about that? Mark doesn't know it's in there. It was his editor that put it in. Isn't that funny? So that was a freebie just for your morning. We thought that would be fun. Anyway. All right, so we're going to start this morning uh, by opening up our eyes to God's word, and Sarah's going to bring that to us now. So come on up, Sarah White. be in 1 Thessalonians 2, 
For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from other people, or from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are a witness, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Let us go before the Lord in a prayer of praise. Lord God, we come before you humbly as women desiring to know you and your word more intimately and deeply. We recognize that it is by your wondrous grace alone that we gather to learn and fellowship together. Lord, you alone are worthy of our praise. You have displayed your majesty in creation and you alone have made all things and sustained them. You have showed loving kindness to your people all throughout history. You are a patient God, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, and we are immensely grateful for that truth. We know that without that reality, we stand before you condemned with no hope. We give thanks to you with our whole hearts because you are a great, great God. You make yourself known to us, and we are in awe of who you are. You are holy and perfect, a promise keeper, a gracious corrector, a joy giver, provider, healer, a light to the nations, and a gracious savior. You are a kind and loving God, and we are undeserving of you. And yet, in the richness of your mercy, you provided a way for us to be free from our sin and rebellion against you. You have given us new hearts, and now we worship you through your Son. We marvel at the gospel, the humility of the incarnation, the great love displayed on the cross, and the power and great purpose revealed in the resurrection. You have adopted us to be your children through Christ, and we rejoice that we will one day be in your presence forever. Jesus, we long for your return, but each day until then, we seek to honor and glorify you in all things. You alone are worthy of all of our praise and all of our adoration. 
And so we pray this in all things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Great. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah and Logan. I'm going to put this here. Hmm. Would not be good for an expensive mic to roll off this behind me. There we go. Okay, well, to start us this morning, um, my name is Haley Meyer. I serve on staff with UBC as our women's ministry coordinator, if I haven't got to meet you yet. And um, I'm going to pray just to begin um, our time together in the word. Would you all pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. We pray this morning that you would help for us to understand and learn and know more about you. We pray that you'd reveal yourself to us more through your word and your will for our lives as your people. God, we pray that you would help for us to obey you more in all of life, to love you more in all of life, and to help others do the same. We pray that our time together would be edifying, that you would put a guard over the door of my mouth, that I would not say anything that is unprofitable, but only what's useful for building us up according to our needs, that it may benefit those who hear. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. So earlier this month, my husband and I celebrated five years of marriage, which was really exciting. But on our way home, we found ourselves parked on I-49 after 10 at night. We were wondering, what's happening? Why are we parked on the highway? That's usually not a good sign. And we realized quickly that there was an accident ahead of us on the highway. We could hear the sirens and see the flashing lights, and all the lanes were closed until the injured were taken away by ambulance. Eventually, when traffic did begin to move, um, we couldn't pass using normal lanes, so every single car had to merge to the shoulder and pass by on the side. And as our car crawled along, passing seven fire trucks and six police cars, we saw the scene open up before us, and we beheld the devastation of this crash. Under bright white spotlights from emergency vehicles, so devastating was the scene that we could not imagine a scenario where everyone walked away. Multiple cars impacted, multiple lives on the line, multiple families to be notified, multiple first responders on the scene, in silence, we passed by the devastation. What happened here? Could it have been prevented? The cause of the crash, we later discovered, could certainly have been prevented. One truck driving the wrong way up the highway. One person on a crash course toward destruction. And isn't this the way of all mankind? There's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death, Proverbs 14, 12. This devastation was preventable. What if that driver had heeded the warning signs, do not enter, wrong way? Or what if that driver had not gotten behind the wheel at all that night because a friend took away their keys? Or what if that driver was informed of the devastation to come? Do you think it would have made a difference? What if someone had come alongside them a year ago to walk with them and to encourage them to live not for themselves, 
but for Christ who died for them and was raised? Could another person have helped before it was too late? It's not for us to know the answers to these questions concerning this particular crime scene, but we do know that in God's master plan for his church, one person used by God in the life of another can make all the difference. He uses disciples who make disciples of Jesus to bring sinners back from their wandering and save souls from death, James 5, 19 through 20. So what about us? What if we knew the full extent of the consequences of our actions? What if we knew when our last day would be? Or what if we knew what day Christ would return? Would we make different choices now? Would it affect how we live today? Would we invest our lives, our time, our resources differently? Would we take sin more seriously? Would we compromise less on the little things, our pet sins, if you will, that we keep around because we enjoy them and they honestly don't seem that big of a deal? Would we attend church more regularly? Would we study God's word more diligently? Would we seek the Lord more fervently in prayer? Would we give more generously? Would we do good to others more faithfully? If you're anything like me, I'd venture to guess that the answer to all of those questions is an obvious and emphatic yes. In God's kindness, we do know what devastation is coming as a result of our sin. The devastation of God's judgment to be poured out on all mankind. The wrath that is to come. We may not know when, but we do know that this day is coming. One of the most prominent themes in the book of 1 Thessalonians is the second coming of Christ. And we're going to see what we can glean this morning from that book of 1 Thessalonians about walking with God in view of Christ's return, especially in making disciples. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 4 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come, along, come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. This destruction is referring to being shut out from the presence and glory of the Lord. For those who are in Christ, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10. This coming day of the Lord should affect how we live in the present, and it should also impact how we concern ourselves with those around us in the present. Like the driver going the wrong way down the highway toward catastrophic ends for herself and others, we ought to seek to turn back the sinner from certain death and warn the Christian away from destruction. In discipling, God can use us to these life-saving ends, and he can use others in our lives to do the same. So our main idea this morning is share truth and life in discipling because Jesus is coming back. Share truth and life in discipling because Jesus is coming back. And just as a note, if you didn't get a handout on your way in, there's some on the back boxes of these two doors if you want to go grab one. It'll probably help you through the next several minutes. 
So this morning, we're going to be meditating on a verse from 1 Thessalonians that exemplifies the heart of discipling and thinking about just a simple strategy for how we can do that ourselves. I always find it helpful to start by defining terms, just so we know that we're talking about the same thing when we use certain words. Um, So I'll define a few terms for you just as we're getting going. The first one is disciple, which is a follower of Christ. Discipleship is you personally following Christ. So a disciple is a follower of Christ. Discipleship is you personally following Christ. And then discipling is doing deliberate spiritual good to help another follow Christ. Discipling is doing deliberate spiritual good to help another follow Christ. It'll be helpful to remember that discipling's distinct from simple friendship and that our goal is to do spiritual good, not simply to hang out and get together for coffee or food or just enjoy a hobby or shared interest together. Um, it's to share Jesus together. And so Brad preached in September about the mission of the church, which he told us is making disciples. And this comes from Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Jesus came to his disciples and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So in that just couple of verses right there, we learn that all Christians are called to make disciples. Biblically, there is no category of a Christian who's unconcerned with the spiritual well-being of others. If you feel immune to that call to go and make disciples, I pray that this time would serve as a heart check for us, that we might consider, why do I feel immune to Christ's command? Why do I feel like I'm above that call in Scripture? This isn't just for some, but for all of us who seek to follow Jesus. So as we're talking about discipling today, I'd love for each of you to consider who might you disciple? Who might you do spiritual good to? Whether another woman or a child in your home or your life, who might you do deliberate spiritual good to in this season that you find yourself in? So this morning, as I mentioned, we're going to be in the book of 1 Thessalonians, which is great because Brad is preaching through that right now. So hopefully this will just reinforce some things for us. Um, as we get to listen to these sermons through the next month. But for us to grasp the meaning of a passage in 1 Thessalonians, it's important to know who it's written to, who it's written from, and what was happening in the world at the time. So I'll give us a brief refresher in case anyone missed last week. Um, But this is the first of two letters Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica, which is the capital of the province of Macedonia, which is kind of between um, the Middle East and Europe. So it's sort of a bridge in between. So from Acts 17, we learn that when Paul arrived there during his second missionary journey, he preached over three Sabbath days in the synagogue. And in Acts 17, it says, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. So some Jews were persuaded in his preaching in the synagogue, as well as many of the devout Greeks and even leading women in the city. And so the church at Thessalonica was born, 
a congregation of Jews and Gentiles, men and women, having their faith faith tested shortly after their conversion by an intense uproar stirred up in that city by Jews who were jealous. I could imagine for these newly converted Christians that their opponents in Thessalonica may have likely counted among their friends and family. So Paul and Silas were sent away by the brothers there under cover of darkness because of the persecution that was stirred up. And these new Christians came under swift attack um, and then were immediately removed from the presence of those who preached the gospel to them in the first place. So these are the men and women that Paul is writing to. So we're going to meditate this morning on 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 8. And as an ESV preaching church, I'm going to switch things up on us, and we're going to actually use the NIV 84 version of this verse because the language is a little bit simpler and more clear or readable is how I would say it. So that's at the top of your handout, 1 Thessalonians 2.8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So this verse is bookended by two expressions of love for the people at Thessalonica. We loved you so much, and because you had become so dear to us. So the first part of that verse, we loved you so much, ESV translates as um, being affectionately desirous of you. Now, I don't ever speak that way, so it doesn't necessarily click for me really fast what that means, but that's a much closer translation to the Greek word, and it denotes a longing for the Thessalonians. Excuse me. The second phrase, that they'd become very dear to Paul, in the Greek, shows just their status as beloved. So beloved both by God and um, by his fellow believers. So these bookends highlight one of our chief motivations for discipling, love. In John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus told his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So in this verse, we see Paul following Christ's command to love new Christians, those in Thessalonica. The Thessalonians were also marked by this kind of love, which we read in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 10. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. I wonder, do we love one another like this? Tim Keller puts it this way. First you love somebody by serving them, and then you find that through service you've come to love them. Our love for fellow believers should lead us to do spiritual good to them. If you're struggling to feel motivated to disciple someone, let Christ's love compel you. God has taught us to love one another by first loving us. And as he has loved us, so we must love one another. How has Christ loved you? By being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Is it too much for Christ to ask us to be obedient to his command, to love one another, to make disciples? Is he worthy of us dying to ourselves to love other Christians? Of course he is. Many of you here are already doing this. 
So hear the exhortation Paul gave the church at Thessalonica. Do this more and more and more and more and more. And Christ's commands are not burdensome. So 1 Thessalonians 2.8 shows that this wasn't a chore for Paul to care for these new Christians, but rather he was delighted to share truth in life with them. Love causes us to be delighted to do spiritual good to someone else. Discipling is not just a command to obey, but it's also for your joy. This chapter in 1 Thessalonians ends with these words. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? I almost feel like Paul's shaking them. Is it not you? You are our hope, our glory, and our joy. For you are our glory and joy. The Apostle John felt similarly when he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Discipling is not a burden, but a delight, a joy. In Psalm 16, David wrote, As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my drudgery. No, that's not what he says. In whom is all my delight. David delighted in the holy ones in the land as their shepherd. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, and 9, it says, For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God? This isn't just Paul's sentiment towards the Thessalonians, because they were particularly lovely as a people. This is what all people who desire to do spiritual good to others feel for them when they see them walking in the truth. Discipling is a joy and a delight, and it really is life-giving. The flow of blessings never goes one way. This week I was texting with one of our members who's single in her 20s and has been discipling a 13-year-old in our youth group for the last year. And when I was talking to her about how it was going, she said, I can honestly say discipling her has been the best part of my year. And how sweet to hear that. Someone in her 20s who could take lots of joy and delight in a lot of different things, and yet the highlight of her year is discipling a 13-year-old in our church who she's not related to. Why wouldn't we want to experience this? Are you lacking in joy and delight in your day-to-day life? Perhaps discipling by doing spiritual good to someone else may help turn the tide. So what did love compel Paul to joyfully share with the new Christians at Thessalonica? Truth and life. We can think of discipling in two broad categories, sharing truth and sharing life. Let me grab a drink. So what kind of truth did Paul share with the Thessalonians? The first kind of truth he shared with them is gospel ministry. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, he says, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And in 2, 9, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. The first thing Paul mentioned sharing is the gospel of God. He began with the gospel, and so should we. There are abundant opportunities to do spiritual good to women, teens, and children in our church who may not yet be Christians. 
Or perhaps you began meeting with a woman who would identify as a Christian, but she's not yet been regenerated by the Holy Spirit to respond in repentance and faith. This was me before I came to faith in Christ. I would have said I was a Christian, but I had not yet responded in repentance and faith to the gospel. I'm not suggesting that you should go into discipling relationships suspiciously, but I am asking you not to go in presumptively. So through my 20s, I had the privilege of working full-time with college women, especially in evangelism and discipling. And at least once a year, a student and I would both be surprised after I thought I had been discipling her for many months, and she'd come to faith. So over months of reading the Bible, praying together, and sometimes even sharing the gospel with friends together, she would realize she hadn't yet responded to the gospel and she come to faith in Christ. So we live in an area where the gospel is often assumed, meaning if someone tells us we're, they're a Christian, it's easy to take them at their word and move on. But in love, I think we can begin with the gospel and discipling relationships in hopes that the woman who we're discipling is saved, but if she isn't, in hope that she would be. So simply asking the other person about her spiritual background or if she says she's a Christian, asking her how the Lord saved her, that can be a great starting point to just begin with the gospel and your discipling relationships. So listen carefully and prayerfully to what she shares with you and share with them about your spiritual background too, how the Lord saved you. But not just the circumstances around your conversion, actually share the gospel message that saved you that God made the world and everything in it, that people rebelled against him in sin, including me. And when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for my sin and rose again three days later, proving I could trust him for eternity and have a relationship with him now. So you could just, as simply as that, lay it out there. Um, I hope you wouldn't feel the same fears or reservations about sharing the gospel with a fellow Christian that you might feel with sharing it with like an avowed atheist. For example, if another Christian shares the gospel with me, I praise God for it. It's so good to hear. It's so good to remember the gospel and hear it. And they care enough about me to make sure that when I say that I'm a Christian, I mean the same thing that they say when they say they're a Christian. And that means the world to me. They care. So I'd encourage you to follow Paul's example and begin with the gospel with whomever you disciple. Do not skip it. Do not glaze over it. Let it be the foundation for your relationship together. After all, it's our common faith in the message of the gospel that leads us to walk together in Christ, to seek to be discipled and to disciple others. So if you have questions or reservations about that, please come talk to me. I'd love to chat with you about it. Um, And also, if you're not sure how you could conversationally share the gospel with someone else, I'd love to... um, grab coffee with you and we can practice. I always need practice. I feel really rusty after the pandemic year. So it'd be great to practice together. Just know I'm here to do that with you. So the next thing that Paul shared in terms of truth with the Thessalonians is word ministry. In 1 Thessalonians 2.13, it says, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 
So not only did Paul share the simple gospel message with the people of Thessalonica, he shared the word of God. And I wonder what all he got to share with them. But a simple truth stands out from this verse in the description of what truth Paul shared with them. God's word works in us who believes. God's word disciples. God's word disciples. Paul intentionally shared the truth of God's word with the Thessalonians. They accepted it as the word of God, and that word was working in them continually, even in Paul's absence, which he's writing to them in his absence. So we'll not always be with those who we disciple. We will not always be with our children, but God's word can be with us and with them always. God's word actively works in us, and it accomplishes the purposes for which God sends it into our lives. So in our discipling, let us be women who do not merely share our words or anecdotes or experiences, but let us be women who intentionally share the word of God with other women and children around us. Discipling, like we mentioned before, is distinct from simple friendship. It's helping one another follow Christ, who is the word made flesh and dwelled among us, the word of life. We're hard-pressed to help another follow Christ if we are never with him and his word together. So you can incorporate God's word in discipling relationships in lots of different ways. And I'll give you five ways that you can, this is really cheesy, but you can get a grip on God's word. Um, There's simply, (laughs) it's bad, there's simply (laughs) opening your Bibles and reading a passage of scripture together and discussing it. So that's one way, reading. You can just read the Bible together. There's also taking time to memorize a verse together throughout the week and then reviewing it when you meet together. So memorizing scripture is another way. There's listening to God's word through hearing the sermon on Sunday that's preached and discussing how to better apply it in our lives. They're studying a book of the Bible together, perhaps using a method like from one-to-one Bible reading. The coma method is what it's called, where you go through context, observation, meaning, and application. And then there's also meditating on a single verse of Scripture together, which is what we're doing here this morning. We're thinking about one verse and trying to spin it out and understand fully what it means. So those are five ways that you can get a grip on God's word. But there are other ways too. There's just listening to the other person share about their life with your Bible open and um, using, sharing a verse to encourage or pray for them in view of what's happening in their life. Friends of mine memorized the whole book of Philippians while running together one summer, which was really hot and also very edifying. <laughs> Um, And moms can use tiny theologian flashcards to teach their children scripture over lunch. There's a ton of different ways that we can get in God's word together, but it will not happen by accident. So we do need to pray for God to give us insight as we meet together on how best to get in the word. If you don't feel competent to lead another in Bible study, take advantage of resources like that book, one-to-one Bible reading. Or personally, I'd encourage you to join a women's Bible study here at UBC and take what you learn week to week and teach it to someone else who's not in that Bible study. That's a simple way to just take what you've been given and share it with someone else. Word ministry will also change with us. There is no one-size-fits-all approach. So when you think back over the last decade of your life, reflect on your circumstances and how vastly they changed. 
Maybe it's your responsibilities in and outside of the home, transitions of life and work, where you live, the family and ministry that you've likely um, been a part of. I imagine that your capacity changed drastically in the last decade, and likely not all in the same direction. So if you're anything like me, it's good to consider what capacity do I have now to serve others? Your capacity might feel like it waxes and wanes almost as frequently as the moon. (laughs) So the encouragement I just gave you is to think about it in terms of stewardship. How can I steward the time I have today, the time I have this week, the time I have this month to do spiritual good to someone else? It's okay if this looks like inviting someone like a college girl, to ride along with you in your minivan as you take your kids from activity to sport to activity this summer, or get early morning breakfast before you hit the office, or squeeze in a conversation while the littles nap and big big kids play, or have a woman join you as you garden or cook or walk or anything that you might be doing, like running errands. But do be sure to plan how you might incorporate God's word into that time. Do you encourage her with scripture as you drive? Do you practice scripture memory on your way to the farmer's market? Do you talk about what you've learned in the sermon or in your time alone with God as you're pulling weeds? Do you open the word together and talk about the things of God? God's word disciples. God's word is at work in us who believe. So don't be discouraged if your word ministry to someone else does not fit a particular mold or model. But think on how you can steward God's word to another woman or child in your time with them, whatever your circumstances may be. So how do you decide what's best for you and the person you're discipling in terms of how to get in the word together? It can be helpful to have an expectation exchange the first time you meet together just to get on the same page. Um, And Aaron likes to ask the question, what would be most edifying in our time together? So that can be a useful question to ask in your first meeting. Um, If she's already in a Bible study, perhaps just reading the sermon text together would be edifying to help prepare your hearts to hear God's word on Sunday. Or if she's regularly reading her Bible, maybe memorizing a passage of scripture together would be edifying. If she's walking through suffering of some kind, perhaps just listening and praying and encouraging her with the word as the Lord brings it to mind would be most edifying. Or maybe there's a particular area of her life that really needs attention, and reading a book on that topic would be edifying. And a quick word on using books to disciple another woman, God's word is always, always our best source, the only sufficient resource for life and godliness. Yet we know that God's word is not exhaustive. It doesn't say everything there is to say on a particular topic. And books can be extremely helpful in drawing upon certain themes and topics and theological formation, those types of different things. So if you're reading a book to disciple another woman, I like to think about 2 Peter 3.18, which says, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some books can help us better grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think of character development. Um, While others might better help us grow in knowledge of the Lord. Think theology. Um, We'll do well to read both kinds of books with those who we disciple. You could also consider reading scripture together throughout the school calendar year and then reading books together in the summer. That can be a helpful balance of those things. But as you exchange expectations... 
you may just want to listen for areas where um, spiritual good needs to be done in her life and try and be strategic about how you help apply and steward God's word to her in your relationship together. So we also have three extra E's in this book of 1 Thessalonians of ways we can share truth with those we're discipling. Those are establish, exhort, and encourage. So establish we see from chapter 3, 1 through 13. The word establish means to make firm or stable. It's used twice in those few verses. So part of our role in sharing truth and discipling is to help firm up and stabilize the faith and hearts of those who God has put around us. So what areas are they lacking in faith? What areas are they not believing the promises of God? Particularly as they walk through affliction or suffering, how might they be wavering in unbelief? These are ways that we can help bring the truth of God's word um, to those who we disciple. You may also consider where she's struggling in sin. What ways are her heart, in what ways are, is her heart condemning her in shame? In what ways is she living like the world around her and not like our Lord? These are ways that we can pray for our sister using the truth of God's word um, to point them towards the Lord, to help establish her heart blameless in holiness, as it says in 1 Thessalonians 3. So 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. So I'd encourage you just to make prayer and confession a regular part of your discipling, pointing one another to truth as you go. Um, And that can help you to, to establish younger Christians in their faith. The second E is exhort, which means to urge strongly. So what did Paul urge strongly the Thessalonians do? To abound in love and holiness. This is in chapter 4, 1 through 12. Um, Another part of our role in sharing truth and discipling is to exhort others in their walk with God. Paul saw both that the Thessalonians were walking to please God in holiness and that they loved one another. So they were already doing these things. His desire, as he saw that evidence of God's grace in them, was that they would walk in holiness and love more and more. So in all of the relationships that we have with other Christians, we desire that they would be more and more holy, more and more loving. And these are things we can urge strongly for one another to do them. Just think of if someone pointed out a way that they see you loving other people well. Would that encourage you to want to do that more? Or would that make you want to stop? For me, I think it'd make me want to do it more. It's positive reinforcing of what God is already using you to do and helping you see, wait, are there more ways I can do that? That's great. Let's do it. The world says, love yourself. But God says, love one another. The world says, be true to yourself. But God says, die to yourself. The world says, whatever seems good to you is good. But God says, I am good and do good. The world says, my body, my choice. But God says, be holy, for I am holy. We can be the truth teller in the lives of others for their good and God's glory. We can urge them to walk in holiness and love more and more. And I hope that we'll do that in our discipling. And the last E is encourage, which means to comfort, build up, edify, or promote growth. So we see this in 413 through 528. 
And Paul commands the Thessalonians to encourage one another in really specific ways in these verses. It would be great to spend time there, but we just don't have it this morning. But you can probably summarize the general argument as, be sanctified because in life and death, Christ is with us always. That's what he's encouraging them towards. Be sanctified because in life and death, Christ is with us always. So how can we encourage those who we're discipling? Remind one another that Jesus is coming back. That come what may, Jesus is with us. That no matter what happens this side of heaven, Jesus will never leave or forsake us. Encourage one another in view of eternity. Help lift the eyes of the woman you're meeting with off of her circumstances and onto life everlasting, life abundant, life eternal that awaits us. If you're discipling someone in a season of affliction and trials, encourage them to work and to wait for the sun from heaven. He is surely with us, even to the end of the age. So any quick questions about sharing truth with those we disciple before we move to the next section? Great. Okay, so these are all examples of just ways we can share truth with others. Um, now we're going to think about that second phrase in 1 Thessalonians 2.8. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy didn't only share truth with these new Christians and walk away. They didn't just preach the gospel and share God's word and duck out and go watch TV all night. They shared their very lives with them. They gave themselves away to them. What does this look like? They shared life. The first thing I think this looks like is imitation, which Brad preached about last week um, from 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 through 10, how they, they became imitators of Paul and of the Lord. It says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. An imitator copies the actions and behaviors of someone else. But to be able to imitate someone, you must observe. And this requires time. So our prayer in discipling is that we can be examples as we follow Christ, as we follow the example of Christ. This doesn't mean that you have to have arrived in every way before you let someone follow your example. Um, you don't even have to believe yourself to be a model Christian at this point. But it does mean including people in your life so that they can observe and learn how you walk with God in order to be able to do the same. When we disciple, we aspire to be an example not because we are great, but because the God who we serve is great. We are making disciples of Jesus, not us. So we desperately need flesh and blood examples of life lived before us who are seeking to love and walk with God. How is the working woman to learn how to say no to ungodliness and yes to walking uprightly in the corporate setting? How's the Christian raised in a non-Christian family to learn how to raise her children in the fear and admonition of the Lord? Or how is the young wife whose parents and both sets of grandparents divorced to learn what it means to love her husband and children? She's never seen these things modeled in her life. How's the single woman to learn how to control her body so that she doesn't fall into the pattern of casual sex in the world? How's a college student to learn to share the gospel with her peers 
in the midst of much opposition. How's the teenager to learn how to live for Christ who died for them and was raised instead of for themselves? These are all helped by flesh and blood examples of lives lived by women who are following Jesus. So let someone come alongside you and ask questions or simply observe you in your element, in your natural habitat, whatever that may be. Um, This is going to take time to allow someone to observe your life, to see you fight for faith, even when it's messy and ugly and clumsy and there's laundry everywhere and things don't look all neat and put together. But humbly, we can let God use us in this way to help point them to the rock who's higher than us. We're not pointing them to us. We are not their rock. Christ is. So we can all together seek to point others to his example. The second way that Paul shared his life with the Thessalonians was through spiritual parenting. When he says in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. He compares his ministry there to that of a nursing mother. Which makes or begs the question, why this image? Why a nursing mom? Paul's never been a nursing mom, clearly, but why did he go there? So nursing mothers, through their own physical bodies, give their children the nourishment needed to live. In a sense, nursing mothers give their life away to their children. This life-giving relationship helps the infant to grow up, helps the image or infant to Um, build up immunity to disease. It helps to meet their emotional needs and um, to feel secure and loved. And Paul sought to nourish the Thessalonians in these ways spiritually, to build up their immunity to, to affliction, excuse me, to build up their immunity to affliction, to care for their needs, to love them and protect them as a nursing mother would her own children. Yet nursing mothers do not nurse indefinitely. That would be funny. They nurse for a time, and then they wean their children. With each passing day that an infant lives outside the womb, that nursing infant becomes less and less dependent on the nursing mom. The time spent feeding shrink, the time between feedings grows, and eventually that child is able to feed themselves solid food. Discipling is like this where for a time we give our lives away to someone else for their strengthening in their faith, their growing up into salvation, their spiritual nourishment and spiritual good, and then we wean them and send them out to do the same for someone else. Paul also compares to his ministry to the Thessalonians of that of a father. In 2, 11 through 12, he says, For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. In this comparison, Paul draws upon the father's role in the home of instruction and teaching, which was especially common in Paul's day among the Greeks. So a father is able to daily, frequently, and consistently give his life away to his children because he lives among them. They're watching him every single day as they grow up, whether he realizes it or not. He's showing them day by day through his actions and words what it means to live a life worthy of God. He partners with God who calls his children into his own kingdom and glory to see his children not just know the truth, but also to walk in it. He does this by exhorting, encouraging, and charging. So how can we be like Paul in our discipling of others? 
I think it's by being spiritual parents to them. Think of yourself as both a spiritual mom and dad to the person who you're discipling. We're both showing them and telling those we disciple what it looks like to walk in a manner worthy of God, loving them as a mother, teaching them as a father. If you're a parent or grandparent in the room, this is a great reminder that our responsibility is not merely to care for and meet physical needs of those entrusted to us, but also their spiritual needs and formation. So if you're wondering who to disciple, you might consider starting in your own family, in your own home, with your own children and grandchildren, your own nieces and nephews. So set aside time to meet individually with them and to invest in them spiritually, to try and do deliberate spiritual good to them. The third way that Paul shared his life with the Thessalonians was in walking in God's will. So another way that we can give our lives away in discipling is by helping others walk in the will of God. And we get two examples of direct quotes in 1 Thessalonians of This is the will of God. We all wonder, what's God's will for my life? And we get two great, clear examples in this book. So the first one comes in 4, 3 through 8. It says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So we can give our lives away to those we disciple by walking together to kill sin. This will require transparency of us and of those who we disciple. And we can pray for our relationships to be increasingly marked by that kind of transparency, even when it's uncomfortable. And I assure you, it likely will be. So how can we be sure that each one of us at UBC knows how to control our own bodies in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like those who do not know God? Probably the safest place for some of those conversations to begin are in discipling relationships. We know that God's will for us is to abstain from sexual immorality. But do you know how your disciple is doing in her fight against sin in this way? Do you know? If you never ask, she may never share. If you never ask, she may never share. I'd been discipling a young woman for several years. I think it was three years at this point before she confessed that she struggled with self-pleasure and letting go of past sexual sin. I had no idea. I was shocked when she confessed this to me. And I never had asked her about sexual sin. I never asked her about her past. And I naively assumed that all was well. This was a young woman who was walking with God and seeking to make disciples of others. She was leading a Bible study. So on the surface, I may never have gone there because it didn't appear to be an issue. And yet, as we all know, sin loves to thrive in darkness. And I regret not asking her sooner. I regret not giving her the opportunity to bring her sin into the light and heal. So at that time when she shared that with me, we prayed together God's promise from 1 John 1, 9. Um, If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. 
And that began a new pattern in our meetings together. So while we continue to read the word together and continue to think about those who she was doing spiritual good to, I also began to ask her how her fight for purity was going. We would pray together for our fight against sin, um, for healing, and also for encouragement to persevere in holiness, to put sin to death. And while this was uncomfortable for both of us at times, she told me that she no longer felt isolated and trapped in that cycle of sin, even though the road was very gradual and very slow. And she is not an isolated case. So I just encourage you to ask. Don't be afraid to ask uncomfortable questions. When um, Corey and I were dating and we were desiring to honor God in purity, we asked Clay and Lee Morton um, to hold us accountable and pray with us for purity in our relationship. And I'll never forget that one weekend when we had been traveling, we had gotten home back to Fayetteville. I think we went to St. Louis. And we rejoiced because in God's kindness, we had been able to honor him in purity throughout the whole weekend. And we both just felt great joy that that was the case. And on Monday morning, I woke up to a text message from Lee when she said, Hey, Haley, how was your weekend? I've been praying for you all weekend that you would honor God in purity. And when I got that text, I just was so humbled and praised God that she cared enough to ask me hard questions and to pray with me in my fight for purity. And so that's just a picture of what it can look like to walk together, to seek to put sin to death in our life. It looks like carrying those requests and burdens before the Father and looking to God's word for answers together. It's very simple, even though it can feel very hard. So we don't have to have experienced all the same struggles that those who we disciple may experience, but we can be willing to bear the load with them. The second example of walking in God's will that we're given in this passage comes in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. We can rejoice together in the ways that God is growing the person that we're discipling. And we can thank God for them, just as Paul did in 1 Thessalonians 3, 8, and 9. We can rejoice in their salvation, their sanctification, their steadfastness. We can thank God for answered prayers that we see in their lives, the circumstances that he's placed them in, the work that he's doing in and through them. We can pray along with Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Jesus is coming back, and he's faithful to ensure that his great commission will be fulfilled. His plan is to do it through the church. Will you share truth in life with those you disciple because Jesus is coming back? 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, Always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. I pray that we're faithful to do this, just as Jesus who calls us is faithful. Would you all pray with me? Heavenly Father, we praise you for your faithfulness. That even when we are faithless, you remain faithful, for you cannot forsake yourself. Lord, we pray that you would help for us to be strengthened, 
to be disciples who make disciples, that you will help us to take the next step of faithfulness in that, whether it's to just initiate with a younger Christian a conversation about spiritual things, whether it's to ask our children if they'd like to read the Bible with us and to do it. God, we pray that you would give us the grace to obey when we see these open doors for ministry in our lives. We pray that you help us to not um, be indifferent to the spiritual needs of those around us, but that like a spiritual parent, we would care for them. We pray that you help for us all to do spiritual good to other people in this church family, in our own families. God, we pray that you would give us just more grace in this. We ask these things in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, friends, now we will get to hear from a few other women besides me about discipling. So I'd love to invite up Kathy Burgess and Ruth Henderson and Rayleigh, and um, we'll get to just have a brief conversation about some of the more practical sides of discipling that we didn't touch on yet. So y'all can just pick your poison up here. Yay. Okay, and I think your mics might be off, but why don't, let's, um, I'll let y'all say your names just briefly so they know who you want to say. Hello. I guess I'll start. I'm Rayleigh Rose. <laughs> Kathy Burgess. And Ruth Henderson. Great. Thank y'all. And thanks for being up here with us. Um, what I'd like to hear first, what does discipling look like in your current season of life? Okay, I guess that's me. Um, right now I have an eight-week-old at home and I have a two-and-a-half-year-old at home. My two-and-a-half-year-old is who I disciple all day, every day. Um, that looks really simply just, I know that at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, she's going to be at the dinner table. We are going through the Proverbs right now. We read the same proverb over and over again, and we talk about it because, you know, small toddlers don't really always understand the words of the Bible. And so we just break it down together and talk about it and how that kind of plays out in her life of not kicking her brother in the head or, you know, throwing the bucket around or just doing crazy stuff. Um, and so that's just kind of simply how we share the gospel with her at home. Um, we pray together a lot. We have people that we pray for throughout the month. Um, and she learns their names. She really doesn't have any idea who they are. Um, and most of the time we don't either because we go through the directory and we're in a big church. But we're just always continuously trying to pray for others, pray for ourselves, and help us to uh, continue to reinforce the spiritual fruits of self-control is a big one right now. The two-year-old fits are alive and well in our Rose household. Um, and so when those fits do happen, when she has trouble obeying, and we just stop and we ask the Lord for help. Um, <laughs> a lot of times I feel myself uh, in her prayers if she's like weeping and just goes, Lord, please help me to obey you. And I'm like, sister, amen. <laughs> uh, and so that's really how I disciple Blakely right now. I also have a college girl that comes to my house. It's called a Jordan day um, because she comes to my house on Wednesdays and she'll stay from who knows when she gets off work until dinner time and she's really just become part of the family we read the sermon text together she stays for dinner she sees us do family catechism together and we just talk about life she brings up her struggles she brings up things that she's going through of like how to be a good roommate how to be a good friend how to be a respectful daughter that's transitioning into an adult and not being under the same house as her mom and dad 
um, really hard things that take a lot of time to talk about. So we've been in that relationship for almost a year, and the Lord has just really blessed us in that. So, yeah. Thanks. Well, as an empty nester, I have a little bit more free time. Um, and so I have a couple college students. Actually, they just graduated, but I got them throughout their entire four-year stint here in UBC and at, at the U of A. And so we formally do meet once a week, um, just reading through books of the Bible. We've done plenty of those. Sometimes we'll throw in a book, uh, like you said, during the summertime or something. But our main diet is just reading through the Word um, and picking different books from the New and Old Testament. And then I meet with a, um, a non-believer, so I wouldn't say I'm discipling her, but nonetheless, you know, uh, prayerfully pointing her to the one who can save. And uh, that's just been a beautiful silver, silver lining in the pandemic because I've tried to get her to come to church for three, four years now, and she would just come, you know, sporadically and just didn't want to give up those three hours or whatever and or do a Bible study with me. That was just too much time. But FaceTime for 45 minutes on a Sunday afternoon, she's there. And so we've been going through the book of John um, and then she came Easter and I felt like she wasn't just being like thrown into a world of scripture she didn't know. I mean, we, I don't know, the Lord was just beautiful how he worked it uh, and got her prepared for Easter uh, and the resurrection. And then my greatest privilege right now is getting to formally meet with our daughter, Hannah, who's a junior or senior now at the U of A. And um, of course, I've discipled her. Uh, through life, you know, for her 20, uh, almost 21 years, but to get to actually meet with her, and uh, we're doing um, Courtney Reisig's um, Learning to Feel, which is a great book, because it takes you straight to God's Word, and it's 21, 20-something Psalms that we're going through, and so I actually meet with her every other week, and uh, I tag team with Carolyn Wilcox, and she uh, leads um, Hannah and another study. So that's, that's been a huge privilege. So we have five kids, one who's going off to college or something, who knows soon, um, down to 12. And so, um, we've been working on having more and more spiritual conversations just as part of life. And, and it's been sweet now that they're older, it feels a little more natural, you know, in the early days, you're like, okay, we're going to do this. And now they're kind of like, so what's up with this? And so it's, it's been kind of, that's a fun part of teenagerhood. I'm enjoying that, that, that piece of it. Um, and then there's a sweet girl that I was able to disciple went through her teen years and then, uh, she's now getting married. So John and I are doing their premarital. So that's been a fun cause I know all her history and, so that's been a whole different kind of premarital uh, with her. We know their family. So that's just been a fun blessing, too, a sweet, sweet surprise. Um, and then there's just some girls in and out of my house. Um, so it may be um, it's soccer. They've walked the soccer fields with me while I'm waiting for my kids. Um, I've had sisters sit in the car with me while I'm picking up my kids because evenings for me are usually shuttling. And so there's a lot of that just going with me places and we'll pray in the car or talk about scripture while we walk around the soccer field. Um, that's been a very real part of life. And then some just kind of younger wives or moms who are um, at the house that we talk and pray together. 
That's great. Thanks. And um, personally, right now, there's a college girl I've been meeting with for several years. She is about to move this summer. I'm so sad. But um, so we've been preparing her to um, stand on her own in terms of like we've done Bible studies on finances in view of God's word because she's never lived on a budget before or had to think about how to give, save, and live um, on her own dime. So that's been fun. We've been talking about that Um, and a couple other more practical aspects of life together in the body. Um, So what is one thing that God has taught y'all from discipling others? If you're not in the word, it's really hard to disciple somebody else. Um, For me, I see a lot of it when I'm not in the word. The first reaction to my daughter isn't truth and love. It's annoyance and irritation. Um, and that's a sin on my part. And so having to come, like humbly come to my daughter that's, you know, two and a half and say, I'm sorry, I love you. I acted sinfully. I sinned against you when I, you know, got irritated and shouted at you in anger. That's a sin and mommy needs to pray and repent. Will you pray and repent with me? Um, and you know, she sits there quietly and she listens to me pray and she listens to me repent before the Lord. And I say, Blakely, will you forgive me? And she goes, yes, mommy, I'll forgive you. Uh, and that is one of the biggest things. I think also just see how the Lord is very, very kind in allowing me to have time to do this and allowing me to have the capacity. It's not in and of myself that I can do that. It's because he graciously gave it to me because I prayed for it. Um, you know, just asking, Lord, I feel like I'm at my wit's end. I want to disciple somebody, but I don't see a time where we can. And the Lord graciously just kind of took things away. <laughs> it was like, well, here's time. Here's where you're like not doing literally anything. And here's how you can invite someone to come alongside with you. And also your child is never away from you. <laughs> She's at your hip every day. <laughs> and that is the first and foremost of my mission field right now in discipling her and raising up her in fear and admonition of the Lord. So, I think one thing it's taught me is just that I receive such spiritual good from those that I'm discipling. They challenge me. They ask me questions that I can't answer, that I'm like, I'll get back with you. Um, but, and also just the spiritual good that comes from Um, Like you were saying, being in the word, um, like one of my girls is getting married today and going on a honeymoon and we haven't gotten to meet in several weeks. And I've just seen my time in the word just kind of plummet because Hannah hasn't been able to meet either. She keeps traveling. So anyway, things like that, it's like it does me such spiritual good to be held accountable to not just a time in the morning with the with the Lord, but in my afternoons. just being in the word and preparing, um, you know, because it does take time and, and effort. And um, so anyway, that's been really good for me just to have that accountability and, and, and not just waste my time like I'm really good at doing. Is it? I just didn't hold it right. Sorry. Um, I totally agree with what they said. And, um, I was also thinking one of the hardest parts for me was not having um, everything perfect and lined up. <laughs> like I, I would love in my head for my house to be clean and the dishes done and laundry rolling and it smell good and have cookies out. Like that's my ideal, right? 
uh, what actually happens is like the dog stinks and the cat threw up and you know, like there it's, that's more real. Um, and so if I was waiting for the perfect minute, either the perfect time in my life where everything was lined up or the perfect time in my house, like I would never, it would be heaven. And then it was too late. So I think it, yeah, working on just letting go of whatever standard I had of my life being together, um, and more just, this is what it is. <laughs> I hope you love me. Here it is, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's been helpful, though, and made discipling more enjoyable than stressful, which is how it was when I was trying to have everything perfect. Yes, that's so good. I think one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately is how um, to invest in things that will last forever and not worthless things, and remembering that God, His Word, and the souls of men will endure forever. But the books I read or the things I do for fun or the meals I cook, like those are not things that last forever. So it's been encouraging to know that on a daily basis, we can invest in things that will last forever and a desire to want to do that more and more. That's been something I think the Lord's been teaching me and discipling. So how do you all go about starting and stopping discipling relationships? Just real practical. What does that look like? Um, I have had the unbelievable privilege of being able to be discipled by someone that has been a Christian as long as I've been alive. Um, and that looked like me reaching out to her or just observing her life and saying, I would love to imitate you and be like you when I'm your age. Um, and just asking her to come alongside me and basically teach me how to be a mom and a wife. <laughs> um, and so for that, we met every week and now we've kind of teetered off into like once a month. Um, another time I had someone pursue me and say, my husband is discipling your husband. Let's come alongside one another. And I said, no, thanks. Um, and then she continued to relentlessly pursue me, and now she's one of my dear friends. Um, and so that's kind of how that has played out in my life of being discipled and me discipling Jordan, the college girl that I meet with. I asked Haley, hey, put me in contact with somebody. I would love to just meet and pour into somebody. And she did. And then Blakely, uh, yeah, I gave birth to her. So she's just, that's how we started that relationship. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely pray. And that's not a just a throwaway answer. Uh, you know, just pray for the Lord to put someone in your path or for you to reach out to someone. Um, definitely, you know, look within, I mean, obviously mamas with your children, but also just within the UBC body. I mean, this is where God has put you with this particular body at this particular time. So, you know, use your focus here, and um, and then like I did trembling five years ago, go to Haley and say, I'm willing, and then she'll never forget it, and she will connect you with someone, so um, ending, I've never uh, have had to end one yet. Um, I mean, you know, the Lord just is allowing us to continue, even though these two girls are graduating and moving on. I approached them. I'm like, okay, this is a, you know, you're going to be in a 40-hour work week, and you know, do you still want to meet? And they're like, you're not divorcing us, are you? <laughs> I was like, well, no, I still want to meet with y'all, but I also want to give you the chance to, you know, I feel like I've taught you everything I knew, you know, have known like two years ago. So, uh, you know, and it's okay. It's okay to end for sure, but they're, they're wanting to continue, and that's great with me. But, but also, I wanted to encourage them with, it's not if we were to go ahead and them go meet with someone else or them, like Haley was saying, you know, ready to disciple another, 
you want to sh- encourage them that this is not the end of a relationship. It's not even the end of a discipling relationship. You will still be in each other's lives. It's just maybe an, you know, a change in the formality of it and meeting that, you know, weekly or whatever together. So, uh, same. I think some were kind of just natural. We're already hanging out. So while we're hanging out, let's read the scripture together. Work on praying together, memorizing. Um, some more formal through the church started and then they'll move or I feel like one thing that when this question came up I wanted to say I feel like um, in some of the more formal ones where you're saying okay we are going to start meeting and this is what it's going to look like I wished I had done a better job of also when it ended saying okay so now I think you're ready for this or sometimes it ended weird because you're like and then you kind of don't see each other anymore so which is human and lives and relationships but um, I think a lot of communication with who you're discipling of here's where I think you are and here's where I think this would bless you and I'm always here for you like um, I just sometimes the endings are weird so I was just going to say I think talking about it is helpful that's good I um, like thinking in terms of short-term discipling and long-term discipling. So like your children, that's long-term discipling. That's going to be years of your life invested there. But there's also the opportunity to do short-term discipling, which in my mind starts at like four to six weeks. So sometimes I'll just ask if someone would like to read the Bible with me for a short period of time. And I'll even say like, you want to read the Bible together for the next six weeks? And then at the end of that six weeks, we can assess, like, would you like to continue this and do another study? Or um, are you happy to just continue to spend time with me as friends, but we don't formalize anything from here? But just kind of giving that option of leaving an open door to come back and keep doing spiritual good. But also, it's not like an indefinite timeline forever and ever and ever and ever that I'll meet with this person. Um, So kind of like what Kathy mentioned doing, just leaving the open door, not shutting it down, but also giving an opportunity to uh, divide and conquer. So um, how do y'all, or sorry, what advice would you give to the woman reluctant to disciple another person? I think you first have to start with like, why? Um, Like, why don't I want to give up my time? Why do I not want to disciple somebody? Is it because of fear of man? because we're never going to know everything. And so you should just jump in with that. Um, Is it because of my time? I think you could pray for the Lord to just show you in your life where you have time. Um, If you ever want to be humble, yeah, and disciple somebody, (laughs) because you quickly find out that you don't know as much as you think you do. But that's okay, because the Word does. The Lord does know everything. And you can ask for wisdom. You can ask other sisters that are older than you. This girl came to me with this question, and I don't know how to handle this. I am only you know, so old, um, and you're older than me, you're wiser than me, can you come alongside of me and help me figure this question out so then I can better love her and help her understand the Bible? Um, And I think you just have to pray for the Lord to give you a heart of discipleship within the UBC body. Um, If you're a mom and you just feel really weary and tired, um, get another mom to come alongside of you and keep you accountable to say, hey, how are you loving your children? I know that last week was really hard and you had a, you yourself had a lot of fits while everybody else was having fits. Um, how do you think you can better love your children? Do you take three deep breaths and then go along and pray with your children? And just practical things like that. But I think you just first have to ask the Lord to want 
give you the desire to want to disciple somebody, to love somebody in that way? Yeah, so for those who are reluctant, I would just say, okay, look at me and realize that God can use anyone. And be assured he can use you for sure, uh, number one. Because I was that reluctant person um, five years ago. I mean, uh, seriously reluctant. And I did a Bible study uh, with Danielle Allen. She, she led it or facilitated it. And it was off of Catherine's, uh, Catherine Brill's 3R study, which is very similar to the coma study. And so we didn't have a live teacher. We didn't have a, a Bible study book to go through that an author had written. I mean, it was just literally in the Word and looking at it, reading it, reviewing it, um, responding to it. And it was then, that summer, that God was like, clearly showed me, this is all you have to do, Kathy. This is it. You don't have to teach. You just have to facilitate. So even as Haley mentioned earlier today, you know, uh, if you haven't done that, uh, been in a Bible study like that, the coma method, you know, do it this summer. I I know there's some that will be starting. And um, just see how easy it is to just sit down with someone and follow a method like that and um, and be in the Word together. Um, I would say I understand. I think it's terrifying. <laughs> but um, it's also precious, and it's the way that I've grown the most because it is. There's that constant challenge of an encouragement and accountability, and there's nothing else like that. And it connects you to the church in a, in a deeper way, in a more special way than than other others. And... I mean, not other people, but like just if you're coming in and sitting and leaving. Um, so I, it's worth it in every way to find a way. I had one friend, um, her, when all of our kids were little, she was like, I disciple when I'm folding laundry. So that was her thing. She was like, I can fold socks and we can talk about the Lord and we can memorize. And so there's always snippets of time we can redeem somewhere. Um, we have to sometimes be creative because everybody's busy, but it's worth it. So worth it. Mm-hmm. Those are such good pieces of wisdom. Thanks, y'all, for sharing that. And also, just as something to think about for the summer, um, we're going to have two women's Bible studies that will be four weeks long one in June and one in July, where we'll walk through a book of the Bible and how you could read it with someone else. So if you're reluctant because you just haven't seen this modeled, maybe you've never been discipled, and you're thinking, what would I do? What would this look like? And you'd like to see just an example of what that could be. Um, we're going to do two four-week studies this summer just to that end. So be looking to your emails and listening for announcements on timing of that. Lord willing, you can pray with me for this. That we'll have child care offered for that time too. So um, we're praying to that end. So have your eyes and ears open. But with that, Aaron can come up and we can go sit down. But thank you all again for sharing all that. It was super helpful to me. Haley, that was super encouraging, thinking through what it looks like as believers. You know, you think of that proverb of iron sharpening iron, and that's what I think of a lot of a discipling. So both are edified, both are sharpened, both grow, 
it's not just a one-way street. And so thinking about that. So we take all of our strengths and weaknesses and allow the Lord to use them in our lives. And so you did that and modeled that well, even in the teaching of us and exhorting us. So thank you. I love that. If you never ask, they'll know, you'll never know. And thinking through what that looks like for us. So I'm thankful for that. Um, and what can we do to pursue good for all? What is that going to look like for our lives? And just making one small choice can make a really huge difference in your own life and in the life of the body of believers. Um, the next Women's Institute we're going to have is June 26th, so mark your calendars for that. We're going to continue on in our series on practical theology. This one is um, Walking with God in Work. And so that's going to be from the creation mandate. We were all created, even Haley said it in the discipling, to work and to wait. So we all are working. Some it's in a professional environment, some it's in home, some it's in a classroom. So no matter where the Lord has placed you, he has called you to work and to wait upon him. And Emily Cockrell will be walking us through that. And I think it will be wonderful. And I would highly encourage you to take the time and bring someone with you. Um, and use that as an opportunity to disciple them afterwards. Go to lunch, talk about it, um, and ask those hard questions along the way as well. Um, following that, we're going to be taking, um, we think, two-month break, July and August, or maybe at least one. We're not totally sure yet. And then we'll be following up with um, a second half of our Practical Theology series uh, with all kinds of things that I think will be awesome. And we'll just leave it as a dot, 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 so you can figure that out from there. But... Um, I think it's going to be very exciting moving forward. Um, with that, I want to close us with um, these words from Psalm 34. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will boast in the Lord. The humble will hear and be glad. Proclaim the Lord's greatness with me. Let us exalt his name together. What a wonderful thing for us to think about in discipling right there. Okay. Please stand with me. We're going to close with this doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above the heavenly Son and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Have a great day.